Blog Talk Radio. I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one nigga front, my face on the front page, only if I had one gun, one girl and one crib, one God to show me how to do things his son did, pure, like a cup of virgin blood, mixed with 151, one sip will make a nigga flip, writing names on my hollow tips, plotting shit, mad violence, who I'm gonna body, this hood politics, acknowledge it, leave bodies chopped up in garbage, seeds watch us, grow up and try to follow us, police watch us, roll up and try knocking us, one knee, I up. Could it be my time is up with my love? I got up. The cops shot again. Bust stop glass burst. A fiend drops a Heineken. Ricochet in between the spots that I'm hiding in. Blacking out. I shoot back. Fuck getting hit. This is my hood. I'm a rat to the death of it. So everybody come on. Little niggas is grown. Hood rats. Don't abortion your wound. We need more warriors soon. Sit from the stars, sun and the moon. And it's like a police chase. The street sweepers and coppers. Sick up kids with no conscience. Leaving victims with doctors. If you really think you're ready to die, we're not. Power brother, you are live. Black power, all powers to all powers to oppress people, African power to an African people, the black power to black people. It's your brother and your host, National Chairman Yang and Krumah, People's Black Panther Party for Self Determination, coming to you again live on a Tuesday. You know, I was trying to, man, listen, I am so. I tell the brothers and sisters out there, I am technologically. Behind times, I was trying to figure out how to do the live thing so I could come to you live today while we were um, fortunate enough to do our radio program. Unfortunately, I haven't quite discovered the knack or figured out how to do it, so preferably next week we'll be able to do it. How is the listening audience? This is Independent Black Talk Radio, People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination. You know the spiel. It's your radio program, brothers and sisters, an opportunity for us to exchange ideas. For, you know, we look forward to your questions, comments, critiques, criticism, if necessary. But just, you know, an opportunity for us to share with one another um, and for us, like I said, to establish that dialogue and to have an exchange of ideas and just really put together a think tank. Um, do demographics dictate social behavior and who we choose as mates and spouses? Do our demographics, do our social conditioning, do the places we live in, the people we socialize with, every you know, these circles that we hang in, do they dictate our behavior to one another? Do they dictate the people that we choose as our mates and spouses? 
are all these excuses used. You know, we hear a lot of times that, you know, the people say, well, I'm from the hood. That's why I behave the way that I behave or I do the things we do. Is that an excuse or is there some legitimacy to that? And the reason that this came about is in a conversation, in conversation with party members, we were discussing race relationships and the working of relationships. And, you know, one of the things that came out that the sister said is, why do I keep choosing or why does it seem as if people keep choosing the same type of people? She said um, um, that she had received that question and it had hit her that it was the demographic. It was the areas that we live in. It was the certain, you know, it was the type of people due to either economic class, social class, or stature that we chose these type of people. It wasn't necessarily that we had a particular type. It was just that this was the majority of the type of people that we had. And I can see the wisdom in that. It made me think back to, Earlier when I was younger and when I was on the dating scene, how, you know, you and when you approach a young lady or something, my boys would be like, she's out of your league. What does that mean? She's out of your league. She's out of your class. So I begin to think more on that subject, and I'm like, man, it actually makes sense. Like these sisters that possibly would go after white-collar corporate America brothers, you know, and the sister may not have a college degree. The sister may not have that eighty, ninety thousand uh, uh, dollar job. She may work at the Walmart or whatever, you know, at nine ninety, nine seventy five an hour type of thing. Is this brother looking at her as being on the, you know, equal playing field? Is he going to come to her a certain way, or is he going to put her in the demographic? You know, she says, well, I always seem to get the same type of man. They just want to sleep with me and leave me. Is this how this brother, because he doesn't feel like that you may be on his level, is this how he's looking at you because of your demographic, because he's categorized you and put you in a box? He's fallen into the stereotype and hasn't taken, given an opportunity or taken the time to get to know you. Is there, would you have something in common? So I think that that's a serious question. And then if that is the case, why is it? What has changed so drastically and dramatically that a certain behavior in the black community is attached to where you live? Like we say, we hear the people say, that's ghetto. You hood as hell. When did a certain behavior become attached to where we live. When we were segregated, when all black people lived, when all African people here in America lived in a certain spot, there was no, you know, you didn't say, you didn't hear if a black man or a black woman acted out or acted irrationally or did whatever, they didn't say, oh, you live in the black neighborhood, you're from the black neighborhood, because we all lived there. So when did our behavior begin to be identified with our geographical location? with where we lived at. And these are some of the things I like to discuss and talk about. I'd also, we can also talk about, you know, let's discuss fashion. In another discussion with talking with some brothers, we were discussing fascism and it was talking about, and how I told you brothers and sisters, how I told you brothers and sisters that Trump was a fascist. Everybody, oh, he's racist, he's bigot. We were so stuck on racism and couldn't graduate and elevate past the racist aspect 
that we didn't really comprehend or grasp what I was saying when I was saying that Trump was a fascist and that we're living in a fascist America. And what is fascism? Fascism is a state that is occupied and ran primarily by the police. And now we're starting to see it, and I think that our European counterparts, our white counterparts, our white people are beginning to see it. We're having more incidents being reported where the police are killing white people. They are killing white people. I think one of the latest incidents is they had killed a white high school teenager. Him and the police officer had got into some type of altercation, and the police officer had taken a step back and had shot him two or three times, if I'm not mistaken. And if you have more information on this, please press one and share it with us. I like to discuss that. I like to discuss fascism and how it affects us, you know, as a people. And what this means, you know, now you see the tide changing. We told the police had begun, in, in our communities, the police had always been its own entity. You know, the police had always been, um, we had looked at the police as, you know, an occupying force. As something not to be trusted. It is never really, we've always had that tumultuous relationship, that relationship that um, always, you know, made us operate with caution and hazard. But now that it's affecting white America, they don't know how to act. The incident with the police, with the nurse in the hospital who wouldn't allow the police to obtain blood because the suspect or the person they were trying to get blood from was unconscious. She stated hospital policy that the person had to give a consent form, had to consent for their blood to be drawn, and the police officer locked her up, dragged out of the hospital, and locked her up. Like I said, from the last, my last count, three white teenagers were murdered by the police. So are we going to a police state? Well, we've been a police state, but how does this affect and how does this, how does this look for us and what do we do about it? Does this change the dynamic and the shift in our movement, in our, in our quest for liberation of Aspen, of African people? Does this, do we form, begin to form strategic alliances with these so-called um, liberal white folks or revolutionary-minded, revolutionary, ideologically-minded white people? How do you feel about that? So there's some topics out there for today on discussion that we talk about. But let's go to this. Let's 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 begin to talk with the with the demographics. And I'm hoping that um, our minister of justice is a minister of justice. You want to be in on this with me? Are you laying back doing more um, with the panel today? Because it was you and I that, that began this discussion and, and started to talk on it. Yes, um, um, I'll vibe with you, brother chairman. I'll vibe with you. Um. I had to, it made me examine my relationships and the things that were happening, and I was trying to figure out why do it seem like everything is the same. And um, a lot of women, uh, a lot of women and um, say the same thing. Or you can see, you know, on social media, you see people saying, you know, stop choosing the same guy, blah, blah, blah. But by the same token, um, we have to take a look at the fact that we live, with, we, we pick from where we live. You know, and if somebody just happens to, uh, not not even so much where we where we live, who we deal with on a regular basis, if we belong to organizations, um, whatever it is we do, um, you know, in, you know, 
let's let's think about the fact that uh, after high school and college, there will never be another arena where you'll be able to have an array of of individuals to be able to pick from that is not of your demographic. So um, I think it's a real good um, topic, Brother Chairman, and I believe that uh, you were right on point. So I'll buy with you because I think it was you and I that was discussing that. Black power, sir. Black power. Black power. Absolutely. I like what you said, you know, that after that arena, after the college and the school, that, you know, it, it starts to narrow the selection process. You know, so what does this say for, so my thing is to the audience, what does this say for us? This is why we're always talking about at the People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination, community involvement, community empowerment, community upliftment, upliftment. Because we have to, you know, my whole thing, what it started me to thinking on when we started to begin to talk about demographics, and I said earlier in the open monologue, is when we begin to talk about when did um, ill behavior become synonymous with where we live, you hood, you ghetto, you acting like you out the projects. When did it become, when did those two things become one and the same? Ill behavior and where my residency is, my, you know, my, where I take up, where I live, my address. You know, we have to ask ourselves that. And one of the things that I I began to realize was a, a big thing of integration. I'm, we are one of the, us children here. You know, we're like maybe three generations removed from the integrationists. We had the Dr. Kings. You know, we had that whole civil rights movement that hit hard. And then we went to the black revolutionary stage, the black militancy, black awareness, black is beautiful, black power stage, which was my father's in the third development, what we call the third development, that whole era. And then we came in and we slid out the attack had been waged and the war had been waged against the African Revolution here in America and the African Revolutionary here in America, we begin to see it wean. We still have remnants of it because we were raised with it. You saw it in our dress. We had the cross colors. We had the African medallions, the Nefertiti chains. You saw you heard it in our music. We had Karis One, Public Enemy, Brand Nubians, Poor Righteous Teachers, Wise Intelligence, you know what I'm saying, um, uh, uh, Intelligent Hoodlum. It goes on and on. So you saw it reflected in our, in our music. And then we begin to see this shift, this dynamic take place to where, where I always say integration hurt us is where we didn't only integrate economically. We didn't only integrate our money. We begin to integrate the morals and the ethics. And when we begin to integrate the morals and the ethics, we begin to replace what we call success. And materialism began to equate success, how much you possessed how much you own, what type of house you lived in, what type of car you drive, if you, what type of jewelry you wore. It began to equate, it, it began to mean success. And so we lost the character of African manhood and womanhood. And the selection process got to, we no longer, listen, when I was coming up and you wanted to date a young sister, and I remember this clearly, you know, if you wanted to date a young sister, be with a young sister, you used to have to walk that sister home, carry her books. You would talk on the phone with the sister four or five hours, sometimes fall asleep on the phone with the quiet storm playing in the background. You had to court that sister, go sit on the sister's porch and talk to her so the sister's parents could look at you if you didn't and, and, and have to meet them. At the very least, you had to be go to a house, 
sit on a porch. They had to see you and know and would ask you who your peoples is, boy. And all that began to change when success began to be equated with materialism. The brother could ride up in the car, not even come and have to meet the parents, but honk the horn, and our young ladies would jump out and run out and run to the cars. Jump in the cars and ride off. You know, no longer. So we began to lose the very character that defied the African village, that defied, that began to defy our community. And so that ill behavior came in, and I think once we lost that African identity and the things that define the African community, once we began to lose that, then it, that's when I think the ill behavior became synonymous with our residency, where we lived, and it began to lower, it began harder to, to um, it, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It blurred the selection process. You know, it character stopped being the primary concern or the primary, um, man, I can't even find the words today. What I'm looking for, your character, it, it wasn't what had to be foremost anymore. It was what you possessed. Despite what type of character you possessed, it was about your material possessions. And so we found this. And so... The human character, good character, integrity, trustworthiness, all of those things that go into making um, good spouses and good mates got pushed to the back, and material possession came into play. And when we got with one another, we found out, man, this person is rotten to the very core. Yeah, they got X, Y, and Z, but they are rotten to the very core. And I think that, you know, that's a part of demographics. But then it goes the question, do African people in the so-called upper-class neighborhoods or in the upper echelons of society, do they go through the same things? You know, is it so different? Maybe that's an illusion that the lower income, that the lower class people have, that if I reach a certain economic level, if I reach live in a certain neighborhood, if I eat a certain food, I behave in a certain way, that my life will be better. You know, is is it, you know, is the selection better than that? And if it is, what makes it better? You're listening to the People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination, Independent Black Talk Radio, Press 1, we'll recognize you. And we're talking about demographics in the selection process and in our social, cultural behavior. Does it affect us? Is that just an excuse that we use? Let's go to our phone lines. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, yes. Sam, you do have a question, uh, uh, 404-765? Yeah. Okay, cool, you got it. Yeah, I got it. Okay, let's open up your mic. 404-765, your mic is open. Power to the people, Brother Yanger. Power to the people. This is Sister Kimberly. I was listening to what you were saying about the demographics, or is it just an excuse? I like to elaborate a little bit. I feel like it's just an excuse because people can make choices according to who they are. Majority of the male figures that we have out here today have joined into a lot of religious tactics that are teaching them that male dominance is the way of living, even when it means multiple wives. 
There's no loyalty in our relationships anymore. There's no trust in relationships anymore. Even women are crossing out their friends just to be able to lay up and say that they are getting somewhere when it comes to black love and revolution. So my question is this. Demographics, it doesn't matter where you come from, because if you have somebody that has been through the struggle and has understood what you have been through and has held you down through it all, then you would think as a man or a woman, you would respect them more and build something that's more powerful than a sexual activity. But then when you got those individuals that are looking for recognition and they're trying to use certain people in order to define their background and their character, then you're absolutely right. Those are excuses. So I'm just giving my points on some of the things that I have been through in relationships, and I see a lot of disloyalty, and I see a lot of people that are going to who's the bigger bargain instead of the better person. So with that being said, we got to stop telling our people it's because of where we come from, whether we're lower class, upper class, middle class, underclass. Every male or female has an agenda. And if love, loyalty, and understanding is not what you're looking for, then you will be the person that tears down those out here that are trying to find it. So demographics I totally disagree with because I found some people that has came from the lowest of low and have loved me and have stood by me through it all. And I have found those that I thought was revolutionary and understanding and trustworthy that definitely let me down in a time of need. So I'm not going to sit here and say anything about demographics. I think it's choices that lead to excuses. Power to the people. Power to the people. Some good points. And that's exactly what we're talking about, some excellent points. Is it you know, you find like and that's and, and, and I can agree with some of that. I think that you have um I think that you have in any demographic you're gonna have the good and the bad. I think in any demographic you're gonna have the good and the bad. You know, but good and bad at the same time is relative. I think that it's relatability. One of the things we talk about demographics is because of the rela- relatability. If you get you know, we may be more apt if we get someone that is comes from uh, upper income and has a, a edu- you know, has what we call, you know, I didn't go to college or anything like that. You know what I'm saying, man? Lord knows I didn't. But someone that has college degrees or went to college, you know, in the lower incomes, I'm even going to say lower incomes, just where I came from in the hood, which was lower income, a lot of times, Unfortunately, in our schools, we used to deem that as white. If the person talked a certain way, if they could read past a certain standard, they could do so. We say, you're trying to be white. So if the people don't have that relatability, is it can you have a relationship with a mate that comes from that other demographic without being critical and judgmental of them? Will we deem them as being white? Will we have that relatability? Will they have relatability to us? Is that what it means when they say you hood, you ghetto, homie? You know, where is you know, and this is one of the things that does demographic play a part. That's why I do think that demographics does play a part in is the relatability. And unfortunately, in when we're stuck in a certain uh, social setting, it's not. I'm not saying that upper class is better than lower class. Upper economics is better than lower economics. Like I said, some of my realest cats, like the sister was saying, Sister Kim was saying, some of the realest cats I've ever rolled with, we came up from the dirt together, in the hood together, you know, shooting marbles type things together from the hood. But when if we tried to date outside of our demographic, there were some issues 
of social cultural that weren't connecting. Music, language, food, you know, the mother of the, the, the mother of my son, college educated, um, grew up around Europeans. You know, so there's some things that when she and I first had gotten together that we had to, you know, there were some issues there of like, yo, what is this? And especially the way that in, you know, the stereotypes that we had coming from where I came from, you know, oh, you know, you an ancient mama, you doing this, you doing that. And I didn't, I wasn't open-minded enough to look at that. That's just her social cultural experiences. It's her phenomena. It's what she had come from. But at that particular time, I couldn't because of where I came from, you know, so it would lead me to be more comfortable with the people in my demo, in my demographics. But, you know, then we, at the same time, do we grow? So there's some very good questions. Thank you for that, for those comments. I think that you made some good things. So, I mean, I think when you look at demographics, it depends how you're looking at it and where you're looking at it from. Let's go back. Let's go to our phone lines again. We open it up. Abu, salam alaikum, uh, with Jeremy Carr. Wa alaikum salam. How the family doing? Man, good, man. Praise God. Okay, this is uh <clears throat> this is a very good topic and a very good conversation. Uh one is uh special uh when you study the history and uh coming through that history and uh, being an elder. Uh number one, we are everybody a creature of the environment some way or another. And when we deal with community, when you deal with the act of war, there's three types of community that the enemy look at. One is a liberated zone. That means that the people in that area are liberated. And that zone always been protected. And even when we were little children and looked at Tarzan, they low-rated the African brothers and sisters even in Africa in the movie Tarzan, but that one area where they heard those drums beat, the Negro dropped the European bag, and and everything stopped. And they say, no, we're not going there. Then you have an area called a zone, a contested zone, where we live, the white folks still can come in and do what they want to do. Then we live on the zone on the enemy control, and that's what Donald Trump is working now on the fascism. So what type of community we want to live in? A liberated community, a contestant community where we can demonstrate and say this and that. Uh, we, we want to live in a community where fascism rule and mean police state. I said that to say this. Community means common unity. And this is why the European, when we had our community, we was the economics. We was the money. This is why we were brought here. We weren't brought here for liberation of freedom. We were brought here to build America. And building America, we were what we call the economics. Once we became conscious of that, we began to build for ourselves. We build our Rosewood. We build our Black Wall Street. We build other communities, especially down south. I I know communities where you very seldom see 
a Caucasian, you might see one walking down a railroad track. But you had your own school, and your school taught you carpentry. Your school had workshops. Your schools had the basic thing that we were taught to maintain ourselves in the school today. You don't have that. We had workshops in these schools. That was very important. And these schools had names of our ancestors, our greatest ancestors. And the teachers lived in the community. They weren't imported outside the community. They lived in the community. So the parents and the teacher was all one. They knew each other. If if a teacher was found drunk, man, the whole town knew about it. Why? Because it was a community, not a neighborhood where your neighbor most likely might end up being a hood. No, this was a community. That means we had common unity. Our school, the teacher, and parents, we say we must produce leaders. We didn't have no high rate, uh, what they call today juvenile delinquent, uh, uh, juvenile detention centers, and uh, juvenile prison. Why? We had communities. And if, like you said, a brother couldn't come in and just walk in and, and 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 the girl run out the house. No, you had to meet the family structure. That was community, and it was a shame if there was a relationship and you end up pregnant, or you end up in, in a, uh, a situation. So what happened? Let me just end it. We are living. For the materialistic life for integration, we gave our moral arm for a materialistic arm. And that moral arm had moral principles, but that materialistic arm didn't. So we are, uh, we were moving on up, but we were moving backwards. And now mm. we are in the consequences of what is the community. Because many of our children never lived in a community because those who were put in position to put in community so loud for moving on up. Mm. I just want to end that. But I, but I personally know what a community was all about. And I know when that Caucasian, the policemen could not even come in the black community when I was coming up. They had to stop at the kids of it. When that brother ran and hit that black community, he was saved. The day yeah. that the brother run in the black community, they throw up a reward on him, the nigga bring him out. Bring him out. They might even handcuff him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> might gift wrapped him. Gift wrapped yeah. him. Absolutely. So, so I'm saying every species today value a community. Mm-hmm. They very, uh, and they don't believe in the integration system. The possum yeah. gonna be the possum, the squirrel gonna be the squirrel, and and then when you go in the forest, you come and say, "Oh, everything's so beautiful." Why is it beautiful? Because everything is staying in its natural. We the only yeah. we the only people that left our out our natural state, and you walking our community now, you call it a ghetto. 
because it's not a community. There's no common unity. The language, the disrespect that we have right now, that one what I grew up in. Yeah. And that's, you know what, Black Power, I'm going to leave your mic open to uh, Abu. I call you Abu. But for everybody listening, that's that's Chairman Kahar, National Director of the Panther Education uh, Committee, um, dropping that wisdom. I'm glad that you was being on and, and, you know, definitely praying for and wishing for a speedy recovery from your car accident, man. I'm glad that you was able to join us, Abu. But, you know, listen, he, he hit, some, he hit some, some key points that made me think about him when he was talking about, when um, Chairman Kahar was talking about common unity, the community being common unity. And this is probably one of the things that goes into – Destroying our relationships We don't understand how deep Community goes And community even going in The building and making of these relationships There is no common unity When we got into There was a thing When um, I was up under Tanaka It's a lesson he passed out It was European morals and ethics And African morals and ethics And one of the things under the line Of European morals and ethics It, it was individualism Individualism was one of them And that's what we began To adopt For ourselves and under the African one Was Communalism And so we begin to Adapt this individualism Like he said we begin to start to think of ourselves Start thinking of individual Selves so even to the point Where we would sell one another Out we would turn one another over to the police For reward money there was no sense of common unity. And so how much do we see this going into our relationships? When we go into relationships, are our relationships a come up? Are they an individual come up? Are we talking about do we sit and plan and think what a family would look like with this individual? What? How does not just being with this individual and having a family and creating a life by the permission of the ancestors and the most high God creating a life with this individual, but how will our relationship affect the overall community we belong to? We no longer think about that because individualism, not only does it breed, not only do when you sell out, not only is it only about yourself, but what is that? That's a selfishness. We begin to become selfish. And in selfishness, when you become selfish as an individual, this is what you see this European, and this is explaining some of his behaviors and why they behave as such. When this European, when you become begin to become selfish, you become arrogant. You become arrogant. Can't nobody tell you nothing. Your way is the right way, and not just for yourself, but for everybody. Why? Because your way seems to be the right way for everybody because you're so selfish and individualistic. That since it works for you, this must be the way that works for everybody. Common unity says that communalism says that we sacrifice the needs of the one for the needs of the many. We sacrifice the wants of the one for the needs of the many. This is what communalism teaches us. But since we have lost that understanding and we've embraced European mindset, Correct. What's that word? Let's go into our revolutionary politics. You know, I always like to throw these words out there because I'm a rev- you know, I believe in revolutionary politics. I believe in terminology. You have to know it. If we're gonna be internationalists, we're gonna have to speak on an international revolutionary language. And that word is neo colonialism. Neo colonialism. 
when we begin to think like our oppressor, we begin to judge by the same standards and hold the same values as the oppressor. And that individualism comes in and we begin to step on the needs of the many to feel a self-serving desire of, 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 of our own. It's what we need. And if people don't fall in line with that, we do just like our oppressor. We do just like our oppressor. We want to begin to eliminate them. We get verbally abusive, physically abusive, emotionally abusive. Because they're not falling in line. We haven't learned to be, we've lost the sense of communalism, which teaches tolerance, which teaches patience, which teaches inclusivity. It teaches listening and respecting, not always accepting the other people's opinion, but respecting their right to an opinion and really weighing it against the needs of the whole community. So if you have a community, you you want to say something, Brother Chairman? Go ahead and finish because I want to join in and and, kind of add something in. Okay. Okay. And let me, and before I finish and I'm gonna be clear, let me let you know this is the People's Black Panther Party for Self Determination, Independent Black Talk Radio. We're sitting here talking about demographics. We got Chairman Cohn, we got my Minister of Justice, myself on it. Please press one if you like to join the discussion and come in on it. We love to hear from you. We're talking about that communalism. That's what it's about. Communalism and exchange of ideas, sharing. But in, in my conclusion and what I was saying is that when you have a Group of people, like he said, um, the ghetto because the neighborhood is left, or like our one brother said, it became the hood because the neighbor has left. It's no longer the neighborhood because the neighbor left and just left the hood. And all you got are hoods running around. When you have this mentality of survival of the fittest by any means, that even goes into the makeup of our relationships, then we wonder why we keep getting the same type of individuals. Because it's all about their survival And if you're not about their They're about their survival And if you're not about their survival They have a problem with you Not about the not about the survival, the advancement And the empowerment of the collective But their individual survival You know, I agree like a little bit What the sister was saying, you know But, I mean, we lose the words We say, and I and I'm guilty of this Are you down with me? But the person I ask, are you down with me, reserves the right to say, what are you down with, though? Yeah, I'm down with you, but what are you down with? See, it can't be, are you down with me? I need to know what you down with. See, if we down with the people, then we down together. I'm down with the people. You down with the people? I'm down with the people. Shit, then I guess we down together. But if (laughs) you want me to be down with you and you down with you, then who's down for me? And who's down for the people? Chairman Carter, the floor is yours, sir. Yes, uh, going back to the importance of community, this is why uh, if we don't understand history, then uh, we will end up repeating itself, and then we go forward by looking backwards. And this is why what uh, we're looking at a fascist state, a fascist state is simply meaning no more than what you're saying, to bringing back that police state and bringing back that clan state. Uh, when we look at Community, uh, many of our young brothers and sisters don't know that same red light was created by a black man who came out of a black community. 
when you look at the blood plasm that was set up because the Red Cross was racist, they were fascist, and they did not accept black folks, and then they not catered to black folks. And Marcus Garvey came up with the Black Cross nurses, knowing that it was black folks that came up with the blood plasma. All of the inventions that deal with life, that deal with life, that were created by you and I, was created by brothers and sisters who came out of what? A black community that were well-trained and taught and educated by the community. And when they did have a chance to go to these white institutions, Many of them went to the white institutions understanding that they was going there representing what? A community. They didn't go there representing an individual. That's why when many of them came back, they came back and they understood. They said, wow, this is where Tuskegee Institute came up. But don't took uh, 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 college and Daytona Beach, Florida. I can name all these institutions. They came out of the black community. Community. Right on. Chairman Carl. Yes. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, sir. Go ahead. I didn't wanna I didn't want to interrupt. Okay. Up and in this. So when you look at the institution, they all came out of the black community. They came out of the black so once you cut that off and you come out you living in a neighborhood and you living in a community, we're not living in that community. And I'm saying in the community back in the day, we had our city hall, but it was black run and any elderly misused a child were bought before the elders in that community. And justice was brought about. We don't know that history. We we believe that everything Happen, we got to take it downtown or uptown to European. Now, understand a community has its own system, and this right is on. why they got upset with the Black Nationals and the Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I'm going to end this by saying this: when I'm looking at what happened today, uh, and uh, you and I talked about this, they say uh, health care. The Black Panther Party came up with that in the black community. That's right. <laughs> right. You know, right. We had Obamacare. We had Obamacare yeah. before Obama. <laughs> right. Come on now. When we yeah. say that the people needed protection, we came up with patrolling the community. Yes, sir. When we said that the people, the children need clothes for the winter and shoes, we came up with the free clothing store. Mm-hmm. We saying mm-hmm. that our was not educated, we came up with the Liberation School. We was a community organization. They said, no, they must destroy communities. To, That's right. To, to leave neighborhoods. They'll let you That's live right. in a neighborhood, but they're not going to let you live in a community. That's right. Listen, everything. Hold that thought, Chairman Carr, because I want to go to my, I want to go, yes, Minister Justice. I just wanted to uh, kind of keep it, keep it real, you know. I came from a, a, a place where, you know, like, um, you know, we they, they sniffed glue, and there was gangs, but there was gangs where I lived at, but you didn't see them. You had to go to the south side over where 40 projects were, or you had to go mm-hmm. to Queensbridge, 
to to really see what was you know what was really popping, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But but when you come from a certain demographic, I think like you were saying, you know, like they hide a lot of stuff. You know, they that you know because because my father was a, was a, was a gangster, and he would come in the house and the words that he would use. The first time I ever heard the p word was when he used to use it, and I'm just going to, you know, kind of, in order to, to put this thing in perspective, you know, he used to call my brothers the P word. And I was like, yeah. hey, <laughs> you know, so I'm saying that, but but then they'll tell you don't play with and, those and, and the P word, the P word not being punk, the P word being a kitty cat, the slang yes. for kitty cat. Okay, yes. okay. I'm just, yeah, and, I'm just, and, I'm and, just making sure. And, but at the same time, don't play with them kids across the street, you know, because, you know, the young house, was the place that had no grass. It was the kids was running all over. It was this, it was that. But don't mess with them, you know. And in my family, I was the nigga. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was the nigga because I wanted to be around everybody. But that wasn't what we were supposed to be doing. And we were not supposed to let anybody know, you know. So somebody, um, what was a real wake-up call was for somebody to say, you know, don't think that drug addiction is dirty needles in the gutter. And then I thought about it and how many of the people that was my friends and family that was drug addicts. And I never, until I got much older, did I realize that these people were actually drug addicts the whole time, and I'm looking at it and seeing it and not recognizing it for what it is. So when we start talking about demographics and how certain people think that come from certain areas or, um, you know, you, people that have degrees and people that's this and that, those are the people that are seeing they see in it and act like they they see in it and don't see it. And, and, I mean, on the real side, they really don't see it because nobody has put it to them like, um, this here is a drug addict, you know. So, you know, and, yeah. but they will, in a, in a hurry, tell you, you know, like, you got to liberate the zone across the street, which is the young house. You better not mess with them. I better not catch you with them. You understand? So those are the things. And like, and, and, and like you were saying, well, what happens to the upper echelon? They hide it. They hide it. Right. You know, right. That, and then they right. hide, they hide it, they hide it so well that they don't even see it. So, um, with that, you know, with that being said, I just thought, you know, I would really, you know, just expose a tiny bit of myself because, as I said, you know, my father was a, was a gangster, a real one, a real one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, so all of the foul language and and I and, and foul language is putting it lightly. All the foul language, all of the, you know, breaking people's knees and dressing people in mourning, all of that stuff, I heard that growing up. So, um, yeah. <laughs> let me, listen, 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 let me go because I've, I've had a call in queue. They've been patient. Oh, yeah. I want to make sure that everybody, yeah. So before, and then we can, we, we'll come back around. Let me go okay. to, um, 708-4123. Your mic is open. Hey, what's up, Yang? I'm just listening to Chairman Yang. Oh, what's going well, on, man? Mr. Koji, what's going on, Chief? Yeah, I'm just listening in, brother, and let's uh, all do y'all thing. You know, tonight I'm just listening just learning. That's okay, I'm well, you know, man, you know, as definitely being one of the central, I'm going to leave your mic open, brother. So if you want to chime in anything, that's cool. All right, that's cool. Yes, sir. Um, you know, I know I know, Chairman Carl wanted to address something that Minister Justice was saying. So I want Chief. You may have to put you may have to put it on mute though, because I we can hear. I know okay. where you at. You you on your workout. You are in the gym. Rather getting rather getting with it. Um. Uh, like this, like you know. But we talk about demographics and we talk about community. Community also is a mindset. You know, and I think that it's interesting that you brought up, like you said, in the upper echelons, 
They don't see it or they don't want to see it. But I think it's a fact of that neocolonialism. I don't think that in a lot of instances they're able to see it. Maybe they no, and and you're right. They don't want to see it because neocolonialism. When we look at the colonists, the colonists, America was a feudalist slaveocracy. America was a classes. You know, they had to have the classes in order to make this thing function. Feudalism, landlords, serfs, and things of that nature. So they begin to even and as Africans in America, here's what's funny about us. We will even we will emulate that European so much that even in our vices, even in our sicknesses, in our disease and our perversities, we will begin to think like the white man. We'll do cocaine because that's a rich man's high, but crack is for niggers. You see? So even in our sicknesses, we will begin to try to be better than somebody else. So in that upper echelon, like you said, the same illnesses and diseases affect them. But because they do it in the manner that the European does, they bite into that whole that whole thing. So I think that um, they bite. When I say that whole thing, that whole segregation, that whole separation, that if I behave this way, then I'm better than them. You know. So I think that not playing them, telling you not to play with those children right across the street, same location, same residence, right across the street, because they represented nigger. They represented negative. They represent. They didn't have, like you said, they didn't have grass in their yard. They ran around. Maybe they didn't have the latest pair of shoes. Maybe they didn't have all the. And we were probably one stone throw away from being where they were. But the what I realized about what divided community, the difference between community and when that individualism came in from the European, was that he had to have something as false as it may be to separate us. From to separate himself from us, he had to have any little thing to separate himself from us. So we begin to do that. So the black man would be anything because he didn't want to be what was categorized as or labeled as a nigger. So well, you know we what, begin you, to run. Yes, uh, I think yes. it has a lot to do with um, behavior and accepted behavior. Destructive behavior that is acceptable versus behavior. I, I think it has a lot to do with behavior. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree that I got an echo. I would agree with that. But I mean, who who came up and broke that sense of community? When you talk about that behavior, and that's the European when he taught individualism, because their behavior is destructive. But with the sense of community, we aid and assist that family. We don't send them because look at they shoot. They don't have no grass in the yard. Community will go plant, plant grass in the yard. We're plant a tree. We will bring that house up to code for the sake of the community. If it's about the community and that one house is in shambles, the house is falling apart, then the community and the communalism, the African mindset, will say, hey, it is apparent, it is obvious. We're looking right. at that that household is struggling. Maybe a single yeah, mother right. with five or six children. You know, communalism. Right. Wasn't nobody, wasn't nobody on that to go over there and try to help them people. You, you're right. See? So because we started to adapt the European way of individualism. And it was easier to that way. We already niggers. The European can ride through our neighborhood, nigger, you're a nigger, you low income, you nigger. So it feels better to have for us to have somebody to dump on. Well, I might be a nigger, but I ain't a broke ass nigger. Look at them. You know, we started to lose that sense of community. And it goes back 
to what Chairman Kahn was saying, they broke up because they know all power resides and lies in the people. What the third development was showing us, with whom some people call the original Panthers, was showing us the power of self-sufficiency and self-determination. You know, me, it was really showing us real communalism. We can do for ourselves. We don't need your approval. And when you don't need someone's approval, when you say, I can do for myself, I don't need your approval, guess what happens? You don't give a damn what they think about you, and you begin to develop your own identity. They have to have something that you covet. They have to have something that you want, so you will start to be you will start to comply with their sense of identity. You want this eighty thousand dollar job, eighty thousand dollar a year job? Shave your beard, shave your mustache, cut your locks, wear a Brook Brothers suit. You must go to this school. You got to go to school and get what your master's degree. Listen to what it's called, brothers and sisters. You must go get your master's. Degree. Your master has to certify you. You got my certificate. Yeah, you certify, certify a Negro. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with education when, like what Chairman Kahn was saying, when we had that sense of communalism, when we would get to education but had the sense of uh, and understood the moral obligation and responsibility we had for our people, when we understood that when one of us made it, all of us made it. We celebrated the triumphs of one of us getting through and doing that. It felt good for all of us. It was a sense of race pride and accomplishment and achievement. Now we do like a show I listened to, a very good show, um, where we were talking about the Queen show, and I would advise check it out on Sundays. It was an excellent show. We're talking about crabs in a barrel. They begin to put this ideology in our head, crabs in a barrel, crabs in a barrel. And they had opened my mic and allowed me to speak. And one of the things that I said about that is maybe instead of us looking at the crab pulling us down, that that, that, that so-called crab is saying, pull me out with you. Or, or the crab pulling you back knows when he pulls you out the barrel, there's nothing for you but hot water, hot boiling water. So we're pulling you back down here with the rest of the crabs, yo. Because when he isolates you and segregates you from the bastards of the crabs out here, he's going to take you and put you in boiling water. There's no good in that white hand coming down and ripping you away from us. So we started to lose that sense of communalism and the obligation to one another. And when we did that, it, it, it became a matter of survival of the fittest. And it didn't just affect the outward community. It began to affect our inner households. It began to set up, it didn't set up the dynamic of what's in the best interest of the children. It began to set up a dynamic of individual gratification. And believe me, you, though this European will teach a rugged individualism, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, don't let that fool you. He still plots and prepares for his children's future. He still leaves college funds. He still um, has insurance for his children. How many of us, when we die, when we make that transition, have, have made it easy for our children to bury us, or are they going to have to beg, ball, and steal to bury you? So then we take the other way, just cremate me. You know how many Negroes I've heard say that? Just cremate me. Because they've even made us opt out for the easiest way in our transition. How many of us, when we touch money, have left college funds or trust funds or anything for our children's future? We ball out of control immediately. You go in our homes, we live in some of the worst areas, but have some of the most expensive televisions and stereo equipment and furniture. 
and our children don't have nothing because we bought into the idea of rugged individualism and I got to get me, 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 and it's saturated and it is coming to the very home, not just the community, the very home. Then we wonder why we can't, we can't get along in our relationships because our relationships aren't founded on not just my personal gratification, not just she's fine. Oh, she, she, she makes a mean pot roast, whatever, you know, but do we look at, okay, if I have children with this woman, if I get into a union with this woman and women for the brothers, a union with this brother and sister, is it beneficial for my people as revolutionary conscious people or those of us who say that we're trying to obtain revolutionary consciousness Everything must be weighed and measured in the advancement and empowerment of the people. And the revolutionary makes sacrifices. As one of my mentors said, political thought, Dr. Ahmad Mohammed, um, also known as Max Stanford, formerly known as Max Stanford, said that the revolutionary must be willing to sacrifice everything, even his or her life, for the liberation, salvation, and advancement of African people here in America. So that even means... The and, and and that's an African trait. That even means the union and the joining and the coming together. They did it in Africa. They would look at the houses. They looked at. They knew when this brother married this sister and this sister married this brother. They would look at how it would affect the tribes and the certain families. How you know how it would empower them or depower them or un- unempower them. Let me just add on to that. Please, please. Uh, one is that I haven't heard uh, tonight, and if I did, I apologize. Why community is so important is because community is the keeper of our culture. Male and female relationship and our community was sacred. Mm. Prayer, marriage, washing. Staying clean, being disciplined, respecting the elders, make sure your pants up, make sure your hair right, make sure your breath smell right, make sure you speak the right language, and make sure you have respect for the neighbor because the neighbor is your keeper and you the keeper of the neighbor children as well. That was a culture that was there that kept us together. And when you look at the European races, the first thing that they do when they come in to conquer a people, they destroy their community as they did the indigenous people. When they say they destroy tribes, they talk about destroying communities. This is in Africa and Central colonialism. They do. Community is your culture. When we woke up in the morning, we had our clothes there.
because now we're going to find out how, how dirty he is, how stinky he is, how backward he is, how cocky he is, because he's been living under white supremacy under his religion and everything else, and knowing that when he integrated with me, find out that they weren't all of what we thought they was. Now, I end this by saying this. When you look at our institution now in the school, most of all our athletes that is guaranteed scholarships come from white schools and not black schools. When we look at the, all of the genius now in our black schools now, they're trying to say they're coming from white schools because they came in and destroyed a culture of who we are. That's why I turn around, you not my brother, you my dog, or you my bitch, or you my bitch. No, back then you were my brother and you were my sister. Okay, the culture done changed. When we walk around and, and uh, we dress up and we cover ourselves, now we walk around naked because why the community has been destroyed. We walk around with bad language because we don't respect one another because the culture is destroyed. You restore a community, you restore people's culture, you restore people's life, and you understand that he is a community destroyer. Mm-hmm. So, and this is why he Trump is trying to say that he feels that America as a white supremacist nation community has been destroyed and his job is to come back to bring back white supremacists and fascism and build a white community walking around here and talking about no. yeah. we are African people that have lost our damn minds. Right, Abu, your phone is going. Your phone is going in and out too. I don't know if you. Oh yeah, man. Uh, man, I'm just hearing gunshots down the street, man. Let me walk out on the porch. Go ahead. Okay, that's boy. That's that's you. You hear gunshots and you walk towards them. Okay, but you ain't changed a bit. <laughs> you go see what's going. Right on, right on, man. All powers to the people, man. I man, I just want to do it. Yeah, man. All right. You be careful, man. And I'll be I'll be up there soon to see you. Yeah, I just and, want to bring and your, the whole culture part of it that, you know, even our dress with our culture, our language, mm-hmm. uh, how to respect the elders, uh, mm-hmm. uh, even how many times we sit down to the dinner table with, with my mother, my father, the elders. No, man, we, we in McDonald's, Walt Disney, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and this and that, not knowing that all of this is part of breaking up that, that, that African traditional culture on the, on the neo-colonialism, man. Yeah. And, and you know, and to jump in there with you, you know, I think that what's happening now, though, especially in the information age, I think a lot of people are realizing that we have to return back to an African culture. But we're returning back to that African culture symbolically. By the instances. We'll dress the part. We'll, you know, we'll say the words and everything, but not psychologically, not mentally, and not just a pre-colonialist African culture, not just the Africa before the criminal settler colonies came in, before the invasion of Africa. When I'm talking about an African culture that speaks to the experience of the African here in America. That's what I'm talking about. Culture that we're, that we're, that we're talking about. And going and doing that psychologically, Doing that mentally. What is in the betterment of African people? What is for the betterment of African people? And I think that when we begin to look at 
what's in the betterment of African people, then you will, we will start to see a shift in our behavior and in our selection. You can't help but to do it because what happens is you will have that moral compass. You will have that standard to judge by. You will begin to say, okay, you know what? This isn't good for, or this isn't advantageous. This brother or this sister with this behavior, with this language, with these actions are not advantageous for African people. It's not good for African people. So therefore, if it isn't good for African people, how am I going to allow this into my life? It begins to be that moral compass that we use. And what we'll do, though, is we will say revolution, 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 black people, black people, black people, except when it comes to me, except when it comes to applying it to myself, when it comes to holding myself accountable to the revolutionary standards, to revolutionary morals. And that's been that's been one of the things that has we have totally allowed that to erode. There is nothing that holds us. The lack of community. I like what you were saying. When you destroy a people, when you destroy a community, you destroy a people's culture. Yeah. When you destroy a community, you destroy that base that holds you accountable. You destroy that base that says. This is the moral standards. These are the ethical standards in our community. Come on we're not, now. We're not going to tolerate anything less. That's right. That's right. Oh. Keep on teaching. We're not gonna, yeah. And we're not going to stand for anything less. This is what used to happen when you had that community involvement. But now we have everybody, like I said, go back to that individualism, that feeling like, that it's my prerogative. I have the right to do what I want to do. I can say what I want to say. And therefore, now the community takes a step back. They won't address the children. We'll see the children misbehaving. See them breaking out windows. See the children misbehaving. Doing everything that they shouldn't be doing and scared to address the children because they don't want to hear, they don't want the repercussions of reprisals from the adults. Or... Sometimes you can't let people address your children because they don't have a sense of obligation in community. They'll be out there trying to fight your damn children. Talking about killing your children. That's right. And say that they're for the betterment and empowerment of African people. So we have to begin to put our foot, draw that line in the sand, put our foot down. And it's not going to be for the revolutionary type. It's not going to make you the most popular. You're going to be hated. You're going to be despised because you begin to set standards. Your test, your track record is going to be brought up. Well, you did. You used to be. I remember. You're going to face all of those things as a revolutionary. But be of cheer. Be of good heart. Understand that you know in your mind that you're evolving. You're growing. And what's happening is as you evolve and grow and begin to shake off the shackles, of neocolonialist thinking and shake off the shackles of those people who in the end really may not quite possibly want to see you succeed. There's going to be resistance towards that movement. But if enough people begin to do it, you begin to see the transformation of community. You begin to see the community change. You begin to have that vanguard of revolutionaries that hold the standard, that hold the standard. 
I understand that in the long run that it is not the survival of the individual but the survival of the collective. We have to, to reiterate, to constantly reiterate, we have to get out of individualistic thinking. It's the only way that we're going to make it. We have to get out of individualistic thinking. And because once you get out of individualistic thinking, it opens your ears. You begin to seek solutions that's for the better of all. You see, when you think as an individual, like I said before, when you think as an individual, you become arrogant. You think that your solutions and your answers are the only way. The first thing we to do. You begin to dictate to people what they need to do and what we need to do in the movement and how this needs to be done. Not, I suggest, I think, my opinion, but we're not conscious of the neo. And I'm not blaming any of us for this thinking. We've This, listen, has been embedded in us and ingrained in us from television, everything, from the Long Ranger, the Mavericks, that one superhero, Superman, that one superhero that changes the world. So we begin to think that we're that lone star savior. We're going to change the world if the world just listens to me and not the collective. And there has never been people that have been successful with that ideology. It goes back to like what Chairman Carl was saying. Even Trump understands the power of community, and he says, let's make America great again. Let's make it that great white community that it used to be, that community of white men and white women when we weren't challenged in our position of authority. This is what this is what he's saying. So everybody understands this concept of community, but to go back to, um, and again, to quote Chairman Carr, when we get out of our natural state and begin to become unnatural, when you behave and you think unnatural, then the results are going to be unnatural. If you act unnatural and you think unnatural, the results, the things you bring into your life are going to be unnatural. It's, it's the only way around it. But when you begin to think natural and to think in the sense of an African, a strong, positive African identity, it starts to transform all of those things around you. And those things that are unnatural begin to fall away. They begin to fall away, which they have to be eradicated in order to ensure and guarantee the continuity and survival of the African identity, not the black people. Because let me tell you, black people, they're not going to be able to get rid of black people. They're not going to be able to get rid of us physically. Why do you think that this European, for we're talking about community, why do you think that this white man fights so hard? Because the white man and the white woman can literally, literally be eradicated from the planet Earth. We can outbreed them. It scares them. Can you imagine a people who like to think in the future as they do, think about what if all these Negro men slept with white women and all these black women begin to what if they outbred us? They fear for their very existence. You will never be able to never be able to get rid of all the melanated people on the planet. On the planet. Never. So they have to get rid of the African identity. They have to get melanated people to accept a white supremacist system and a white supremacist ideology and philosophy for themselves. That is the only way to ensure and guarantee that continuum that we carry on. 
There are more ways than Norway, their history, their culture, their customs, and their traditions. And this is why they try to eradicate those things from us. So when we get back to a proper African identity and a proper African understanding, then we will begin once again to be empowered. Hey, uh, part of the you question, Chairman. Right, uh, right, um, yes, sir. Let me ask you one. Somebody put that mic on yes, mute. Sir. I'm asking one. Yes, sir, Chief. All right. Yeah, I, w- I was saying that, um, you know, that's the thing about us having a community, an African community, is that it keeps us uh, a check and balance. The, the number one thing that we have, the uh, number one issue we have in our community is not unemployment, Diabetes. It's the relationship between the black male and black female. Every day I'm, I'm bombarded with phone calls about how, you know, uh, someone had a problem with a significant other. And, and the reason being is because it's not a check and balance system. So in Africa, you know, if you were out, if you got out your body, your your family would get on you. The community would get on you. The elders would get on you. So now, uh, in fact, in Africa, your best friend would be your wife's advocate. Okay, so when, whenever you if she, you out and you look at someone in the village like, oh, wow, she, she looks nice, you know, and it wasn't for the best interest of your family, then your best friend would say, listen, man, so you, you don't do my sister like that. And her best friend would be your advocate. She's out, maybe she sees an attractive man and may make a comment, and, and her friend would get on that. But nowadays, what happens is as your best friend eggs on you know, infidelity, they egg on, you know, a horse behavior, they egg on you to break up families, it's, you know, it's all on empire when we watch on TV. So that's important that we have elders, not older people, but elders who have some sense. Because a lot of times you've got the grandmothers now walking around with booty shorts on, Daisy Dukes on, grandmothers acting a fool as opposed to trying to enlighten right. right. people. You know, it's not, you know, because you're 65, you could be a 65-year-old uh, elder, a statesman, or you could be a 60-year-old goddamn fool. You know what I'm saying? We got a whole lot of 65 and 70-year-old goddamn fools out there as opposed to 65 and 70-year-old elders who, are, who want community. Yeah, they call them old fools. Yeah, old fools, right. So that's what we have to, that's what we have to realize you know, and to get back to our culture and our traditions and all of those things. We have to get back to you know, right. and, and stop being in love with white people. That, that's the number one thing. You're in love with a cracker just the cracker, they don't care about you. You know, I, you know, when you, you know, you in love with going out and spending money with them instead of spending money with yourself. You know, and that's the problem. We, we, our kids, our hair, our Cadillacs, you know, Louis Vuitton purses and stuff like that, it can, it has no value, no value. You know? and, and, and that's the problem we have. So I think we got to get back to, like you said, an African community. Well put. Thank you for that. Definitely, definitely, um, Mantra Sanjata. Definitely for that. And and I'm and I'm a big advocate of that. Big advocate. One of the reasons I support my brother, our national minister of culture, but also the founder of St. Corey African Society, because that is the goal and the mission. One of the aspects of it, and, and what he does is to teach that African culture to get us to embrace it again and part of that embracing it, and this is why I say the brother has such a tremendous job I have to give him you know got to give him kudos and I'm not always big on giving brothers kudos but I have to give him kudos because trying to teach the acceptance of African culture to dead niggas is a hard job we run from it 
we I've seen his brother be beat up and not physically, but verbally, you know, uh, abused and um, mocked and that for trying to bring an African awareness and African culture to African people. It's the damnedest thing. And then we wonder why our communities are in disarray. You're listening to the People's Party, Black, the People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination, Independence Talk Radio. I'm your host, um, National Chairman Yang and Krumah. Um, listen, and we got high-powered. I got everybody. I got these mic open. Take advantage. Press 1 if you want to talk. I got my National Central Committee on. It's been a long time since I've had us all on one. Got my National Minister of Law and Justice on. I got um, my National Minister of Culture on, Mansa Sanjata. Even got my Abu on. You know what I'm saying? National Director of the Panther Education Committee, the PEC, enjoying and, and gleaming from the elder, from the wisdom of the elder. If you like to participate in the conversation, press one. If not, you know, I see you on the line. If not, if you're enjoying the, the show, then continue to listen, and we'll still try to inform. Jimmy Carr, I noticed you were saying something. Did you want to add to add to that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, one, you know, Barry's phone, my phone ran out. It's one of the strangest things that uh, when we uh, look at ourselves sometimes, we have to sit down, we have to slow down and patiently look at ourselves. When we talk about respecting the elders and we are now on the elders, we keep forgetting that we could not self because if the creator and ancestor blesses us, uh, one day become an elder, then uh, we will be in that same situation uh, that uh, we were once in when we criticized the elder. And I'm saying that we have to understand that Africa is not just a continent, it's a state of mind. And that when we look at the planet, the planet itself is one community. And that if we look at what we are here in America, that we actually balance in America based upon that we came here and brought civilization more than what brothers and sisters think that we brought work. And like you said, the only thing that the European need his woman could do something that looked like him and maybe be him. Other than that, he looking at everything else. And I tell brothers and sisters this. You must look inside yourself, and that when we talk about moving the people, the greatest thing that America hates is organization, and special when it's proper. And when we talk about community, we talk about common unity, and that is what was given to us by the Creator. And when we break away from community, and then we look at what has happened to us. It is because we have broke away from what had been given to us divinely. Everything else have a community. From the smallest cockroach to the smallest ant to the bee, even to the fly, to the birds, even to the flowers, breathe same and creation that have been created have been created in a community manner. When you go in the forest, it's a community. That's why they reach out, the limbs touch each other, the limbs reach and feel each other. Everything is reaching and grabbing each other. And you say, Oh, this is so beautiful, this forest is so beautiful. Yeah, it's a community. 
and that we have been taught and turned against our community. Our community, we had the baddest marching band, the most beautiful kings and queens. We had our own theater that showed our own movies. We had our own special club where our mom and daddy went and nobody got shot. Okay, because we had rules and regulation and a culture. We had our own barber shops, our own beauty parlor. Yes, we was in a community, and it was right across the railroad track, and we were down south. And the European became jealous of that community. They was over there with their big old uh, uh, moonshine jugs and everything, shooting each other up in the mountain, the hillbilly belly boys killing each other, and we laying back in our community, chilling. We would go work on their plantation, come back home, chill it. If the neighbor needed some food, have some food. If the, somebody needed a ride, they had a ride. That was common unity. And uh, when something went down, we all came with our guns. And we stood up and said, oh, no, 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 you better back away from here and uh, keep on moving. And if there was a violation in the community, I ain't talking about what I read. I'm talking about what I lived. Man, that was more Negro put on a fake train that laid up there with those, uh, 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 as they call hobo, when a brother violated certain rules that were too, too nasty or too dangerous in the community, the brother would put him on a, a train. Many brothers came up north not because they were running, because they committed a crime against the white supremacists. Many brothers were pulling the train because they violated rules and regulation of the community. That's how deep the community was. And many brothers. I'd like to say, like to say something, Shakespeare, uh, said about how the community was. But what we, you know, I, I remember a brother said to me, he said, when you raise your children these days, the environment goes against you. And I can attest to that because I raised my children very well. However, you know, I remember them saying things like, I have rights and I'm going to call the police. And, you know, and aside from that, you know, how many of us have been burnt by our own folks when we try to, to, to exercise communalism? You say, oh, you need a ride here. Next thing you know, you got that individual wanting a ride all the time. And the one thing that they could always do, you know, always think is that they're using you. You give them a bowl of soup because they're hungry, and the first thing they believe is that they're using you. So, like, how do we combat that? Because, see, this is the problem. This is the problem of not being able to be communal. Because when you try to be communal, you have individuals with these behaviors that believe that, well, what I'm saying is they, they are dealing off the uh, basic instincts of life, food, shelter, and um, money or whatever the case may be. But by the same token, they're going to burn you. This is why a whole lot of folks always end up leaving the community when they make it. I need you to vibe on that, Black Power. Black Power. One is, I'm going to tell you how you do that. With your bowl of soup, you get some information, and you come back, and the next bowl of soup you get, you interpret that information, and you go to work on that. I'm saying that how we did it then, and it worked, and it can work now. With programs that we have today, that we had yesterday, 
the churches and every other organization cannot feed anybody. But our brothers and sisters are not starving for food, but they're starving for knowledge of themselves and information of where they come from. And that our process is to work and give it to them. And I want to be honest with you. We have done what we've done. Can't say that they have never got it, but they never heard it. But our job is to feed that mind and feed that soul to let them know who we are and the condition. As I tell them this way today, and that's why Trump is the greatest fertilizer, the greatest doo-doo and shit that the farmer got. Because we've been telling them about Trump for a long time. But no, we didn't believe doo-doo stink. And the stink of the doo-doo is, the better the crop go, grow. So we're going to see. But if the brother and sister never had nothing in their mind, then they will fall victim. So we dropped it in them. And then when it comes back, it called a memory bank. And our job is put something in that bank. And then when the day comes, they will make a deposit. But if they ain't got nothing in that bank to deposit from, then you and I didn't do our job. Our job is deposit it, and it's going to go in that memory bank, and if they don't use it, we keep on pushing it. But I'm saying Donald Trump going to check everybody's bank, and that's why we got to make sure that they get that deposit. Peace. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm listen. My mic went any moment. Um, absolutely. And like what Chairman Carr is saying, to throw to that, that I think that that's the ticket to realize. Like we do at the LYM, uh, Liberating Young Minds, and you know, Minister Justice, when we went in, and the brother came and said, "Listen, I heard that y'all had plates here, and y'all were feeding." And I told the brother, "Absolutely." But when you come, I'm gonna put some flyers in your hand. I think too many times that the party now has taken on the Red Cross mentality, and we don't possess the resources. To take on that type of mentality, it is we're self-determined, self-sufficiency movement. It is about coming in, sitting with us together, and working together collectively to empower the community. It's about um, it's about uh, it's about coming together collectively to empower the community. And so, when we give that bowl of soup, it's just not to when we talk about that individual gratification. It's just not about for us to feel good that I did some, I did my Christian duty or my sadaka, you know, as a Muslim or whatever. It is about really when I'm seeing these people, like Chairman Carl was saying, going into that think tank and being able to give them something for, give them something um, for, hold on, my lines are lighting up. I, I, I see everyone texting. My lines are lighting up. Um, for everyone to give everyone um Something to come out of that banquet. Listen, I want to go because the lines are lighting up, and I've had people holding for a minute. Um, let me go to nine one five nine five and one. Your mic is open. Good evening, uh, Chairman Yangus. This came back. Calling from a different number this evening. How are you? Okay, this went through me. I'm good, Queen K Mac. How about yourself? I'm good. Um, excellent discussion. Um. And, and, and thank you for being on our show uh, on Sunday. Thank um, you for having me. Yes, definitely. Well, on the first piece, 
uh, when we talked about we were talking about relationships. Um, what I noticed is that today many are looking for that long term relationship, but they're not really willing to do the work for that long time relationship. Um, in my generation, if you dated somebody, dating had nothing to do with being sexually active. Because, you know, and I think that that's a huge confusion factor. You don't get to know the person before you get your innermost gift, and that's for men and women both. Um, Not enough discussion, not enough um, nights on the phone for hours on top of hours. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, And that, I think, is part of the, the breakdown. I'm not sure why we're in such a rush. Uh, to be in a relationship, and uh, relationships are not fashion statements. Those are commitments to another person as well as yourself as well as your future. Um, And I think it needs to be looked at as, you know, not just a conquest, um, but something that you invest in, investing your time, investing your your mind, your 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 soul, your spirit, you are investing in that person, uh, and it takes time. So maybe we can, you want the old school love, but you don't want the old school methods to get that love. To me, that makes no sense. Um, it's like the more that we change, the more that we stay the same. I see us doing a 360. We're coming back. Um, the gentleman that spoke earlier, when he was talking about community, that sound, I thought he and I were neighbors, and I grew up up north, and uh, there was, you know, we had community, and, you know, it was a point where uh, there were those who owned their homes, there were those who lived in a, lived in a project, and the project, low grass, hypodermic needles, glass everywhere, bricks everywhere, non-working, um, uh, elevators, uh, smell of urine in the hallway. But you know what? My family lived there. I personally didn't live there, but my family lived there. Okay? We never had any fear about going into the project and hanging out with them. We knew, uh, as I call them, the white holes. We knew the drug addicts. We knew the people that worked hard day in and day out. It was no soldier being hurt. 
I remember my dad coming home, elderly woman. We had just had an ice storm, and you know, when the spring comes out and her roof was all messed up, and those men when they came home from work, they actually went out there to go fix her roof because she was an yeah. Uh, this is a wonderful topic. 
is an awesome topic. It needs to be discussed. Um, I think everyone has some very powerful points to mention and everything. Um, one thing I saw that uh, Minister Justice said is that people take from the pot and don't give back, you know, have no intention on giving back, you know. they And some of them take because they need it. Some of them take because they've been taught a, a history and they've been taught um, an environment of just taking and, and being that victim and not even believing they have anything of value to give back. And that's hard because if you continue to do that, then the pot's deplenished and then there's nothing for anyone else, you know. And so that, that can be difficult. But like Chairman Kahar said, I grew up in a community. I grew up with um, my pot of rice being divided a thousand times, however many people needed it. You know, I grew up in a lot of different kinds of community, and I know that it works. I've seen it. But it doesn't work unless everyone buys into it, and I think that's the problem. There's not enough people that say, I respect this community or I recognize the authority of this community. You know, someone can't speak to me if I have not given you the authority to have these words and have this exchange with me. And so I think that's what's missing. When I grew up, every man was Baba, every single one, and every single one had a treat for me or some candy was for me, you know. Um, all of the mothers were yay yay. Every mother was um, whoever. And I knew that she had the right to swat me if I needed to be swatted or, you know, to reward me if they saw good behavior. But there wasn't an us and them. Every mother was a mother. And every father was father. And I was safe in this bubble. And I knew in this bubble that these were my authoritative figures. But we don't have that now. And so it's like who has authority to put these things in place? You know, how do we get people to respect a system that, honestly, few of us have seen? Even on this phone call, only few of us have seen this type of community work. So how do you get people to buy into something that they can't see? You know, all they see is their project. You know, all they see is their current situation. You know, I'm looking at these four walls closing in on me. That's all I can see. So it's hard to train people to be open and train people to respect and trust in a system they have never seen and I'm talking about those people really 40 and under. Yeah. So how do you teach yeah. trust? I think, you know, that's a, that's a good question, and that's open for, you know, the, the mics that I got over. How do you teach trust? I like what you said, though. I think one of the things that goes back to, the, the I, you know, I have a recurring theme to this whole community um, piece that we're talking about, and that's that individualism. I think that, you know, it starts – in the mind, our morals and our ethics have been eroded. It's what we call success. You know, material possession, it's like what Minister Justice was saying, that we've been so conditioned on survival and getting over and the me, 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 that even if it's a bowl of soup, if I have a bowl of soup over here and I can get an extra bowl of soup over there, I got two bowls of soup, I think that I've really gotten over. I really yeah. think that I'm doing something. So that's a mindset, you know, yeah. and once you begin to see – so. It has to be one of the things we realized, I think, that, and you and I are second generation, you know. Um, so I think one of the things that our parents realized in the sense of community is when the community was empowered, 
they were individualistically empowered. When the community was a safe haven, they as individuals were safe. Their children were safe. You know, when the community pulled together economically, then there was a, a lack of scarcity. You know what I'm saying? When the community ate, then every individual ate. And I think that when we say community, 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 that we have to go and break it down to our people when we're trying to rebuild these communities, that community consists of individuals and community is you. When the community is empowered, you are empowered. It is easier to, when you work together, our people have to be taught. One of the things I believe that we should be taught is that if we work together collectively, see, that's the whole trick to me, to teach us to see the collective aspect of it, to see that once we're empowered as a whole individualistically, in the, as an in the individual, I'm empowered. When the community safe from police brutality, when we police our own communities, not only is my community safe, see, that's an ask. As, um, what is they call it? Uh, abstract thought. We say community. That's what they say. You know, ask somebody what community is. They don't know what community is. Community, right? It's where we all live, I guess. You know, but when I when they see themselves as community, you are the community, individualistic as an individual. When the community is safe from police brutality, that means you, your children, your wife. You don't worry about I me. Mean, worry about your neighbor next door, but see yourself in that. Right. When you have this garden, see yourself getting the tomatoes and the cucumbers and the things. They don't. We don't see ourselves as part of a community. Community is other than. Community is buildings. Community is the store. That's in that 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 store is in my community. Community is the out of they got the store. Whoever that foreigner they got the store. That's in my community. This is in my community. We'll say my community, but we're disassociated from it. So I think that one of the things for me is. When they see Naeem Akbar had a, had a book, Dr. Naeem Akbar had a book called Community of Self. That's I right. think when they, we see ourselves as that community, when we see ourselves as a part of that, and that the, the, the health of the community, the health of the people around us that we work with every day, live with, look at, and talk to every day, when, we, when they're healthy, that we're healthy, then we'll begin to do that. And I think that that's one of the things that happened. They came in, they began to isolate us, individualize us, pull us out. When we were segregated, we were, you know, we were for, by force, we were, we depended on one another. We did, you know, we had the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. They didn't want our money. They didn't even want to see our black faces. Make us go through the back door and everything. So we began to develop what we need. They say necessity is the mother of invention. So we begin, we were, we were very ingenuitive people. So we began to do the things that we needed to do. Once they they begin to accept our little dollars, you know, once they begin to accept the little dollars, we begin to lose that moral code. And losing that moral code, it detracted from the community. And they realized that it was easier to control us. You know, where they didn't just realize it. They knew it, you know what I'm saying, divide and conquer. But it's easier to control and maintain us if we divide and keep the community on a certain level. So what do they do? They back these HBCUs, these historic black colleges, or whatever, and they scout, just like they scout for the NBA. They look for the brightest, the the, 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 the best, so-called, in our communities, and they offer them these Fortune 500 corporate positions, $100,000 a year, crab in the barrel, stay away from them niggas. We even give you a blonde-haired, blue-eyed white woman. And you start to take three, you do what you did to Africa. You begin to pull the greatest resource out of our community, and those resources being the human being. 
So now we don't have the Booker T. Washingtons or the George Washington Carvers or the Benjamin Bannikers that had these things that gave back to the community, that did all of these inventions and things, but came back to the um, um, who is that Booker T. Washington, Tuskegee, in that Booker T. Lisa. Nobody's. Yeah, okay. So we no longer, they begin, to, they begin to pull those out of the community. And that's, and, and that's what depleted the community of those most vital resources. So now you've, you've you put the standard, the moral ethic, moral ethics, you put your moral ethics, success is measured by material possessions. What you possess, the more you possess, means the better off, the more successful you are in the community. Then on top of that, you've pulled out our brightest, you pulled out our most, you know, um, uh, achievement-oriented, those go-getters. You didn't offer them all of this success. So now what do we have in our community but the dope dealer, the pimp, the gangster? Now, my moral ethics is still based on material possession. The more I possess, the more successful I am. And you pulled out the doctor. I don't see the doctor. When we were segregated, the doctor lived next to me. The HBC, go, to any college, go to any city where there's an HBCU. And you will find it right by the gift unless they didn't tore them down like they did in Atlanta. I remember Morris, um, Morris Brown and Clark, John Hope, the projects used to be right there. Morris Brown, listen, y'all not from Atlanta. Let me tell you, Spellman, Clark, Morris Brown right there was in the middle of the projects. Section 8. Right there. So that, but it was like that because in the day the teachers lived with the people. The professors live, the deans live with the people. Now you pull them out and remove them, and the only thing that you show us as a standard of success is the dope dealer, the pimp, the pusher, the gangster. And so this is what I see. I don't see the doctor. I don't see the lawyer. I don't see those people. And then you go so far as, and when you got these people in there, and a lot of these people ain't going to get mad because some of them are brilliant. I tell the dope dealer, listen, man, you're a chemist. You're in there cooking that stuff and doing weights and matches. Dude, you're a chemist and a mathematician. You're so money. I know people that can feel the money. Oh, you short, bro. You short, man. You're a banker. You ain't even counting it. He's just feeling it, man. It's short. It's short. You're a banker. So there are some very brilliant brothers, but a lot of those fools are underachievers. So any achiever, they say, oh, you're trying to be white. You're speaking like the white man. Why get an education? Why are you going to school? Because they're underachievers. So now you have this environment, this climate of underachievement, you know, where they can maintain the top. The go-getters and the people that have strived for better are looking down on the community, and they've moved out of the community. So it's, it's depleted. It is no longer a community. I think the very first start is is to defy community. And once we defy the community, then the vanguard begin to work in that action and in that vein to try to materialize and make make it tangible. The floor is open for anybody who wants to jump in. We have 12 minutes. So if anybody wants to contribute to that, the floor is open. Yeah, I would like to say something real quick before I get off. Yes, sir. Uh, one thing that, uh, once again, uh, that I have not heard, and that's why I listen very closely, we deal with the culture. We deal with the community, and we deal with where we was and where we at now. Where we was, we had enemies, and where we at now, we are enemies. And so, so we, we, we can do the work, but at the same time, don't think that that ancestors that 
try to keep us and destroy us again is not living today and doing the same thing. So we have to be very careful of the up-sprouted groups that wear the garments of revolution, or wear the garments of the red, black, and green, or wear the garments of righteousness, but at the same time, uh, being a flycraft, in our community to make sure that our people do not move towards poor community liberation. And we got many names out here who are hijacking our original suffering of our ancestors that still not have been dealt with in terms of reparation and many other things. So today, we're talking about dealing community. Believe me, the agency of our people to maintain our disunity is just as well as today, as yesterday, but they just as smooth today as it was yesterday. So I just want brothers and sisters to know because we're not doing the thing that we need to do. I don't work with so many organizations and see individuals saying, ah, and the next time I know we got 30 organizations and no election. This ain't no coincidence. Believe me, whenever people move towards the liberation, there's opposition. And we have to understand that as many times it ain't because the people ain't ready for unity. It's many times because the opposition is working overtime to make sure that we do not get that because I want brothers and sisters to know today we have no need for you here in America today. Right on. Right on. Chairman Carr, I'm coming down to nine minutes, and okay. I definitely appreciate that. That's that's Chairman Carr, okay. National Director of the Panther Education Committee. I wanted to give Queen K. Mack an opportunity to um, have a few words, man. I'm always blessed and honored by our presence on the radio program and always enlightened by because a very professional sister. And this is actually, not to throw her too much out there, but this is actually kind of around the thing that she does for a living. Queen K. Mack, please give us some wisdom, share some inspiration with us in the last couple of minutes. Give you about two, three minutes. Uh-oh. Okay, I'm back. Sorry about that. My car is acting up. Um, <laughs> um, I think that we uh, as a people have everything that we need to get back to being a community. Um, it's just a matter of having people buy into it. Um, the best way to have people buy into it is to demonstrate what that community looks like so it starts to become familiar. Um, it's not something that we can do once in a while. It has to be the way we walk in general. And it has to be almost, it has to be natural. Um, what I did want to say is, is also, um, I recall when things changed for me. Um, it was when the movie Roots came out. I will never forget it. Because after that movie, I learned that I was light-skinned. Other people were dark-skinned. 
I learned that I, according to my skin color, was better than the other person. I truly believe in my heart of hearts where the basis of the division, because that movie was released from coast to coast. There was so much turmoil and upset between light-skinned and dark-skinned people. It wasn't funny. That was the first time I realized that um, I really wasn't black, according to this movie. And so it messed up my entire world as well as the world of many other many other young black people. And it basically started the tear of this is better than that, good hair versus um, nappy hair, um, paper bag tech, all kind of stuff came to the surface and created a separation that we have still not healed from. It was like um, the big, the society as a whole, they found our Achilles tendon and they pierced it. And they've been able to rip it apart or rip us apart ever since. But oh, I will was, never that forget was, that movie. I will never forget oh, that. Was, you know, that's, that's, that's by design. That was by design. You know, right. and I appreciate it, but I'm going to be honest with you. Coming up in the 80s, I sure appreciate Al be sure because he brought light, you know, he helped a he helped yeah. little lighter complexion brothers get back in the game. <laughs> right on Al be sure he put it back in the game, brother. But, um, no, nah, yeah, that was by design. That was definitely yeah. by design. It, it was, you know, it was, and this is, there again, this is another, that's just more evidence of crimes committed against the people when you start doing selective breeding. I mean, they bred yeah. us like mules. I mean, really, you took human beings and began to breed human beings like mules. So they, they, they begin to do that to set a social chat system. In fact, I think the last time I was in Cleveland, it's funny, Chairman Carr, that she's saying this. Last time I was up in Cleveland, um, I think we were reading that out of some of your works about how they had set up about slavery and how they had set up that chat system within the, yep. African, within the African community. Yep. Yes. When we, well, yeah. So, it, you know, so that's... That's a heavy discussion. Listen, let me ask. Let me go to um, our minister of justice and ask minister of justice. Do you anything you like? We got a couple minutes. I can give you a minute. We got five minutes. Would you like to say anything or add anything to the discussion? Well, I you know I, I'm, I'm just listening and and and, it, and I I figured we was really we was really going somewhere because we had, we we really must have a way to merge uh to merge people so that we can make this thing happen and a lot of what what goes on is um we touched on certain situations regarding individuals and behaviors and how it affects us as as a as a nation and I, and I'm going to say nation because uh, the fact of the matter is, you know, we have some folks that are just, you know, are on the lower rung of, of trying to survive. And being, being on the lower rung of trying to survive is not is not conducive to being able to to to, to be a collective. And that's all I need to say, uh, Brother Sam. And this was a good show, and I think we need to do a part two because there are a lot of other individuals that I know that really want to be able to have something to say. Um because the fact of the matter is, how do we merge this situation with individuals uh, regarding demographics, regarding uh, communities, and
and, and what that actually means. Because, you know, folks just really, they'll say one thing, you know, you, you, you heard the old saying, yeah, that's what your mouth says. But by the same token, we really need to do that. And I think we touched on it. Black power, sir. Black power, and thanks for that. That may be something that we need to do. Mansa Sanjata, the National Minister of Culture. It, listen, I got two minutes. You want a minute to say something, a closing remark, or anything, brother? Okay. Maybe not. Coming in our closing minute. Listen, wonderful discussion. I think it's something that is necessary to touch on, to think about. You know, one of the things we realize and must recognize that the revolutionary is a social scientist. If we're not addressing the ills that affect us socially, if we're not addressing the climate and the environment and the changes that take place, not just historic, not just contemporary or present, but also future changes, if we still embark upon a certain path, then we're doing ourselves, we're doing the movement, a great disservice. So I appreciate everyone for chiming in. I appreciate the input. These are the shows that I live for. These are the shows that I love. For those people that, you know, dropped off, they had some people dropped off, I know sure pretty upset, um, you know, and was, was waiting in queue. We had a nice little listen call out waiting in queue. I apologize. Tune in next week. Quite possibly we'll revisit this topic. I want to thank everyone that called in and contributed. I'm your na- I'm your host, National Chairman of the People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination, Yanga and Krumah, and I leave you as I greeted you, all powers to oppressed people, African power to an African people, and black power. Yo, all I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one nigga front, one face on the front page. Only if I had one gun, one girl, and one crib, one God to show me how to do things his son did. Pure, like a cup of virgin blood, mixed with 151, one sip will make a nigga flip. Writing names on my hollow tips, plotting shit, mad violence, who I'm gonna body this hood politics, acknowledging. Leave bodies chopped up in garbage, seeds watch us, grow up and try to follow us. Police watch us, roll up and try knocking us. Money I duck, could it be my time is up? With my love, I got up. The cops shot again. Bus stop glass burst, a fiend drops a Heineken. Ricocheting between the spots that I'm hiding in. Blacking out, I shoot back. Fuck getting hit. This is my hood, I'm a rat. To the death of it, to everybody, come on. Little niggas is grown, hood rats. Don't abortion your wound. We need more warriors soon. Sit from the stars, sun and the moon. And it's like a police chase. The street sweepers and coppers. Sick up kids with no conscience, leaving victims with doctors. If you really think you're ready to die. We're not out. This is what now is about, nigga. The time is Tell God, forgive me for one sin. Matter of fact, maybe more than one. Look back at all the hatred against me. Fuck all of them. Jesus died at age 33. That's 33 shots from twin glocks and 16 apiece. That's 32, which means one of my guns was holding 17. 27 hit your crew. Six went into you. Everybody gotta die sometime. Hope your funeral never get shot up. Bullets tear through the innocent. Nothing is fair. Niggas roll up. Shooting from wheelchairs. My heart is racing. Tasting revenge in 
the air. I let this shit slide for too many years. Too many times now I'm strapped with a couple of Macs. Too many nines. If y'all niggas really with me, get busy. Load up the semis. Do more than just hold it. Explode the clip until you empty. There's nothing in our way. They bust, we bust. They rush, we bust. Let's fly and feel it. I feel it in my gut. That we take these bitches to war. Lie them down because we stronger now. My nigga, the time is now. I need this one mic. All I need is one mic, one mic, nothing else in the world. All I need is one mic, one mic. So all I need, need to do is thing, no. All I need is one mic, one mic, one mic. All I need is one life, one try, one breath on one man. What I stand for, speak for itself. They don't understand or want to see me on top. Too egotistical, talking all that slick shit the same way these bitches do. Wonder what my secret is. Niggas will move on you only if they know what your weaknesses. I have none. Too late to grab guns. I'm blasting because I'm a fool, nigga. Thought I wouldn't have that ass done. Fool you, niggas. What you call an infinite brawl? Eternal souls clashing. World gets deep. Some beef is everlasting. Complete with thick stars. Brothers knifing each other up in prison yards. Drama, where does it start? You know the block was ill as a youngster. Every night it was like a cop would be killed. Body found in the dumpster. For real, a hustler. Purchased my range. Niggas throwing dirt on my name. Jealous cause fiends got they working to play. Bitches left me cause they thought I was finished. Shoulda knew she wasn't true. She came to me when a man caught a sin. Diamonds are blinded. I never make the same mistakes. Moving with a change of pace. Light a load. See now the king is straight. Swelling my melon cause none of these niggas real hurting. Well, telling police how can a kingpin squeal? This is crazy. I'm on the right track. I'm Finally found, you need some soul searching, the time is now. All I need is one mic, one mic, one mic, All I need is one mic, one mic. That's all I ever needed in this world. Fuck cash, all I need is one mic, one mic. Fuck the cars, the jewelry. All I need is one mic, one mic. Spread my voice to the whole world.